I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, it's uh, Joanne's birthday today, and we went wine tasting, and we went up to Temecula, because this is no lie, we took one of those timeshare things, because the girl was from New Jersey who pitched it, and we ended up getting a trip to San Francisco, Dodger tickets, and this wine tasting in Temecula. And first of all, I live in Burbank, but Temecula is hot. I mean, we went, it was so hot, and it's not like a hot where it's like humid, it's like an Arizona or Vegas hot, like the wind blows and it's hot. And I'll tell you, I've been wine tasting before, it just doesn't impress me. I go in, you know, we'd have to pay, but I said to the girl at the door, you know, do a change, because of course I wanted to tip the people, and she's like, oh no, they don't, they don't, they don't get tipped. So, you go in, and basically all they do is they don't explain the wine, you just check your box off, and then they just pour you a glass that is set up to something where it's like an ounce pour so if people who went they would have paid like 12 bucks and it was like not even a glass of wine so I, that was my wine tasting i wasn't impressed with it but we had fun you know it was good temecula was nice even though hot so i'm not gonna go wine tasting again but i love wine are you a, are you a wine fan remind me not to go to that place where you went it was so awful I, so i don't go there because i love wine and i love going wine tasting i was up uh, a couple months ago up in napa for my birthday and i love going up to los olivos just north of santa barbara so uh, it sounds like you had a bummer experience. Yeah, well, you went in, and it's this big place, and I'm not going to say the name of it. And, you know, you, you expect, I expect people, you're wine tasting. There's a reason why you're wine tasting. Well, at least so, someone with some, some right. you know, enology background or somebody that, you know, that's going to give you a little sommelier action. They knew Tell nothing. you what the wine, nothing. Okay. I asked Just the like, here's the wine, and you're on your own. Yeah, and I, yeah, I said, oh, so I said, you know. I said, it must suck. You know, you can't get tipped. Oh, it's all right. You know, I said, is it how long you've been working here? Oh, for about a year or whatever. And I go, so do you know wine? No, I, I was selling sneakers and they just want people with uh, customer service. Did you do the uh, the hot air balloon thing? No, no. Because that's, that's fun in Temecula. That's about, that's pretty much what you go to Temecula. Well, I liked so. the downtown. The downtown was very yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a cool it little downtown area. so hot. Like it's, I mean, I, I think Burbank's hot. And, you know, <laughs> and, and you, you know, we know. I, I just I was, spent four months in Atlanta, brother. You you don't know about hot. Hot is Hot as Atlanta in August. I've heard. Yeah. Well, I, before we start, I, I, I even say your name, Spencer Garrett's my guest. We Spencer Garrett is your guest. Hi. And uh, I got to talk. Well, first of all, he uh, he was recently did an ALS challenge with uh, Larry Poindexter, oh, our no. guest. Now I want to hear about this because it was funny because you th- it, it's a surprise. Like it, it, yeah, we tried, we tried to make a little performance art out of it. Larry Poindexter is a wonderful actor and an old friend, and you know you see all of these ice bucket challenges going on all over the internet and Facebook and stuff. And so I thought, well, let's kind of kick it up a notch and do, you know do something a little different. So I called Larry and I said. I've got this idea. Let's go over to your house and we'll sort of knock it around a little bit. I'm in the shower. And should I, I don't know, should, should I Should I tell it? Just oh, yeah. Because okay. you know what the thing, you know what sticks about giving away is when you go to the, the, the when you click on it. Yeah. And they do this all the time on YouTube. I already saw the two of you in there. Right. I know. So I'm like, it ruined it's, the surprise. It, it, it killed the reveal. I know. Well, so I'm in the shower and I say, hi, everybody. I'm Spencer Garrett. I'm, I'm here to do the Ice Bucket Challenge. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can see like my head and the top of my body uh, it, shirtless in the shower. And, uh, and then the, sort of the, the, the joke is that uh, you hear, <clears throat> and it's Larry standing next to me on the other side of the shower curtain saying, what are you doing in my shower? What are you doing in my house? And, you know, and then he dumps the thing on my head. But yeah, on, on Facebook and on YouTube, I saw that the first uh, screen yeah. image you see is the two of us in the shower and it killed the whole uh, buried the lead as they it say kills it yeah. so now now as I, I did some research on you now you come from an acting family I do now you uh, you spent your time between LA and New York growing up yep now what was that like as a kid to have the successful actor I mean basically not just like 
you always hear like, oh, I grew up with you know, the guy wanted to do this and he got a day job or whatever. What was it like growing up in, a, in an atmosphere like that? It, I have was that, it creativity jumping out all over the house? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I sort of have that, that born in a trunk uh, you know, life. My mom is uh, is the child of uh, two actors. She grew up on the Mississippi River on a boat called the Goldenrod, a showboat. And she and her sister, my aunt, used to go up and down the Mississippi River with my grandparents. And they would stop in little towns along the way, like Joplin and St. Joe. And people from the towns would come on to the showboat, and they would do uh, vaudeville shows. And so that was my, you know, that's my that's my DNA. That's my background. And so my mom who was on The Real McCoys, and she was president of the Screen Actors Guild for a long time. And so growing up as a little kid, she was always doing uh, a regional theater and, you know, theater in Minneapolis and, and St. Louis and Atlanta and all over the place. And so I grew up going from town to town with her, you know, doing... Uh, doing theater with her so uh so that w it was fun because i would get to you know i spent a lot of time backstage and hanging out with lighting designers and stage managers and i spent a lot of time backstage and you know in dressing rooms at uh, tv studios and movie studios so that was that was kind of like that was my education you know now what made you want to go into the acting side instead of let's say you're with the set designers and stuff like that what did you ever have a choice where there was never a choice you said i want to be an actor always i absolutely had a choice i don't think if you know if i had the sense god gave a donut i, I probably would have you know i would have not joined this circus um i just kind of woke up one day i was in college in north carolina was at duke university and studying public policy and philosophy and uh but doing doing theater kind of on the side as a lark and wasn't really particularly good i don't think but I, I, you know, I thought, well, this is my legacy. This is part of my background, and I, I wanted to kind of feel it out. And I, I've always had a love of the theater. I mean, even as a little kid, and so I was doing, uh, I was doing shows there. And when I when I left college, I moved to Washington D.C. and uh, and started working for NPR. Uh, and while I was in D.C., I was interning at the Arena Stage, and that's when I kind of got the bug. And I kind of woke up one day and thought. Okay, I don't want to wear a suit and you know carry a briefcase to work every day. I want to, I want to take a crack at this. And so I moved to New York and started uh, uh, started conservatory. I went to the neighborhood playhouse and studied with Sanford Meisner and and uh, you know and, and here I am. It's uh, it, it wasn't really like a conscious choice. I kind of I think I kind of thought it's part of my background it's part of my life it's the family business to a certain extent my father was a talent agent for 50 years and my grandfather was an actor my grandmother was an actress who became an agent and I just I kind of like the idea of carrying on the family legacy to a certain extent and so well it's weird because I mean Duke is a very good college so I mean it, it's I mean, all right it's you know and now I saw in your body did you go to Fordham also I went to Fordham I let when I left Duke after my junior year I took three years off and worked to and, and worked at NPR uh, and then when I kind of got the bug and decided to move to New York, I finished my last. So I basically split it. I was, you know, two and a half years at Duke and two and a half years at Fordham. I was on the, I was on the six, six and a half, seven year plan. That's, that's all right. Yeah, that's all right. At you least you I got my, I got my degree. And and when I decided to become an actor, I I, I kind of said, no matter what I do, I'm going to get that degree. And uh, so I got my bachelor's. I got my bachelor's in in comparative lit and uh, in American history from Fordham, uh, which. <laughs> Which I I still have yet to put to use, but at least I can you know I can get through I can get through the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle on a good day. So. That's good though because yes. I, I I can do the weekly ones. That's forget it. Yeah, that's like the, I don't know if you ever do crossword puzzles in the L.A. Times. It's like Monday you're like I'm the king of the world. But oh yeah, get get harder. And then Friday you're like oh, I'm oh, a dope. But the, oh, what do I, oh, what do but I the do? New York Times forget about it because oh, yeah. it's it starts out Monday and by Wednesday you're kind of using your brain a little bit more. And then by Sunday you know if if I can get a section of exactly. it, yeah, then uh, by Sunday you're enrolled in a community college just to take. 
something. Yeah. So so you go to New York and you decide you want to act. You're taking classes. Yeah. And now. What do you? When do you start getting auditions? If when you first get out, I mean, when do you start booking stuff? Did it take a while? Oh man, I, I you know I was I was waiting tables and tending bar and doing the doing that actor thing with a lot of my friends and I was doing uh, I t- took whatever work I could uh, find. I was doing industrial films and uh, commercials for you know the local telephone company and um, just whatever whatever work I could find off off Broadway off 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 Broadway. For no money, working for free, just to get the experience, just to have the just to have the work experience, and and uh, and to get it under my belt. And then I got lucky in uh, 1987, I guess I auditioned for. Uh, it was a, a pilot that was being produced by. Uh, there's there's a, a producing couple named Richard Nestor Shapiro. They created Dynasty. Okay. And this was sort of a a, a spinoff of Dynasty, and we were all of the characters from Dynasty as high school students. It was called When We Were Young. And it was me and Steven Weber and Grant Show and Eric LaSalle and uh, James that's, that's Krakowski, Jace Alexander, a, a really great Dylan, uh, Dylan Walsh uh, from Nip Tuck. And, uh, uh, you know, we were all young actors, 24, 25 years old. And I had a small part in the pilot. And then, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were all sort of hoping that we all got cast out of New York, came out to L.A. And that's kind of when I said... You know, I, I didn't want to wait tables in New York. I thought if I'm going to come out and be a struggling actor, I might as well be sitting on the beach with a Corona rather than you know, freezing in a, a four-story walk-up. So, so you move out here, and now now the the pilot didn't get picked up. No, no. But that's such a good cast. It was a great cast. It was a great cast, and I think uh, it, r- it was sort of just before nine hundred two one zero started, and you know we were all. We were all 25, 26, 27. We were a little old to pull off being high school kids. Um, but it was it was quite good. I don't know why it didn't get picked up, but it was enough to give me enough incentive to go back to New York, pack up my stuff, and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a whack at this. Now, where'd you move? I always ask people, where'd you move when you first came out here? Beachwood Canyon, baby. That was it, Actor Central. Okay. It was, like, it was like the, you know, Laurel Canyon in the 60s for, for hippies and musicians. Beachwood Canyon, I, mo- I moved there, and everybody, everybody said, that's where you got to go. And I moved to Beachwood Canyon. There's a little coffee shop, you know, right in the center of Beachwood Canyon. You'd go down there, and you'd see, like, 50 actors sitting around reading Variety and backstage. And I thought, okay, I'm home. So I was there for about five, six, seven years, I guess. Who were some of those people? Oh, boy. Uh, well, Stephen Weber, who was uh, still, to this day, a, a friend of mine. Lawrence Fishburne uh, was living up in that neighborhood. Uh, Ned Beatty had a house. Uh, the great character actor. Yeah, I yeah, love that baby. Had a house. Oh, wonderful! And he, I think he's still there. His house. He was sort of like the mayor of Beachwood Canyon. He had a house right at the right across the street from the coffee shop, and I would always see him there uh, with his wife, and you know, just kibitzing and stuff. And so I'd go up to him. I'd be sitting having my bacon and eggs at the at the counter, and go up, and and he he loved just he loved talking to young actors, and I mean everybody lived up there at some point. So you're you're living there. That the pilot didn't go. Now you have an agent. I did. Now, are you going out a lot for auditions? Are you also going commercial with also, or are you just saying I want to act? Or how would it? I I didn't start doing the commercial thing until a couple of years later, but I did have an agent. I had a, a good, small, little sort of boutique agent, and uh, and they got me out. I, I I went out quite a lot when I first got out here. Uh, I was kind of like you know, sort of the, the 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 new guy. I was the new guy from New York, and so I kind of got shopped around a lot and bounced around to a lot of different casting directors and met a lot of people. So I, I had a chance to get in a lot of rooms and show them what I could do, uh, even though I wasn't necessarily sure what I could do yet at that point in my life and my career either. I was still 
very green. And, and I go, I, I look at, I look at some reruns every once in a while, like an old rerun of uh, Star Trek: Next Gen or Generation or Twenty One Jump Street will pop on, and I'll see myself from back then and go, "Oh my God!" I, you know, I, I, I wish I could, I wish I could go back in a time machine and and make a couple of different choices. Well, you know, it's funny because when you, I mean, have you been working in it, so your resume since '89? So what's funny is, you know, you you have the because the way they rerun everything, you can see yourself. I mean, you can see your whole teen and uh, not teen, my, but my life flashing up. before my eyes. And it, but it must be weird because you know you sit yeah. there and you go, "Wait a second, did I did I dress like that? Did I have hair <laughs> like that? I mean, because you did jump scene. Well, that looks like your, what was your first Big first gig that actually aired on TV, uh, probably probably Next Generation. Okay. It was my first big guest spot. My first guest starring role was was on Star Trek Next Generation, and I I played a Romulan who was trying to uh, pose and you know trying to pass off myself off as a a Vulcan on the ship. And there was a huge uh, somebody had tried to blow up the ship, and there was a huge inquest, and I was put on trial. And uh, I remember being very uh, I was very nervous, very green, I, you know, and I. Not having been a fan of the show, I didn't. Well, wasn't really aware of how big a deal Star Trek was when I was doing it, and uh, so I, I didn't have any idea how a Romulan was supposed to act. And so Jonathan Frakes, who was on the show, who also directed the episode, uh, I had to sort of pull him inside and say, Jonathan, how, you know, how does a Ro- how does a Romulan? How, what would a Romulan do in this situation? Um, so I got a crash course in uh, you know space acting. That's funny. I mean, because as you think about it, I mean, you can't watch every show you're on. And for you, I mean, you know, now we, you know, I'm going to talk to you before you had to reschedule because we'll talk to you later about it. you're in a show that hasn't come out yet. So you, you can't really, you can't. Well, Satisfaction, though. Satisfaction is on the air. But the end, though, the other one you're doing. Oh, Aquarius. Uh, yeah, but it yeah. hasn't come out yet. So, you yeah. know, when you sit there, you go, okay, uh, well, it must be hard sometimes. But so, so you weren't a big fan of Star Trek. But now after Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. Your career, you're stuck anymore. Work? Do people recognize you as a Robin? Well, it's funny because I, I, I done. I think that was really like the first sort of juicy role I'd gotten, and and I remember thinking, okay, it's just it's all going to be sunshine and unicorns after this. It's just you know the work is just going to flow, and of course you know it is an actor and, and having having being a being a product of of uh, you know actor parents and grandparents, I knew what the roller coaster ride was. And uh, I, when that show ended, I, 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 thought, I thought it was just going to be bang, 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 one gig after another. And when the work didn't come, I had to go back to the, to the waiting tables world. And so I went and picked a restaurant in, I love telling this story because I, I, I see Frakes and Lavar all the time. I picked a restaurant way off the beaten path. I didn't want to work at like a Morton's or a Hollywood type joint. I wanted to work someplace where nobody in show business would, would find me or see me. I could quietly make my dough and pay my rent. And about two weeks after I finished the Star Trek gig, because I figured, you know, the day after I finished the, the gig, you know, I was just going to get 19 jobs. Right. <laughs> and probably probably little little high expectations, little wishful thinking. I set the bar pretty high. So I got this gig in a restaurant in Silver Lake. And two weeks later, in what, my very first night, very first night I, I'm working there, and in walks Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, Brent Spiner, Whoopi Gold. They all came together because Brent and Jonathan played in a jazz band and this was the this particular restaurant was where they came to play on Tuesday nights and they played the Frakes played the trombone and Brent played, played the trumpet and they would all hang out together and they walked in and I was working the door I was the maitre d at the restaurant and they all walked in and they said what are you doing here 
you know, and it's like paying my rent, guys. You know, I just I, I took my little rubber Romulan ears off and you know put them in the drawer and and just waiting for those checks to kick in. Well, you know, it's funny you said Silver Lake because now Silver Lake's all the rage, but back then it wasn't. Back then it wasn't right. It's just yeah. so funny for now. If anyone's listening, lives in the LA area, but yeah, Silver Lake just became hipster central. Like you know, three, five, I don't know. Even like when I first moved here, no one went to Silver Lake. You didn't. You didn't go. It was it was a little funky restaurant here and there, a little shop that you might pop into. This is this is ninety ninety one or something, and it was uh, it was sort of the East Village of of L A. You know, uh, which twenty years ago you wouldn't really go to the East Village right. in Manhattan, and now the East Village is like the hot spot. So Silver Lake back then, and I thought, well, that's it's nice. It's a nice safe kind of cocoon. I can go do my thing and make my dough. And of course, you know, they all came in. And I, little little did I know that the, the restaurant was co-owned by Kevin Costner. And so it was more Hollywood than I thought it was right. going to be. And now Silver Lake <laughs> is, that's the place to be. And I and, and I go there all the time. So, that's so funny. It's, you, all those people come in. That yeah. just cracks me up. You sit Because you said, you go, I don't want to see anyone. I don't, yeah, it's just, it's I, funny. Ed, Ed Frakes said, you look like you, you saw a ghost. And I was just, I was just <laughs> I ashen. Did. I was just like, he said, what, what's the matter? And I said, well, I just was kind of hoping to hide from all of you kinds of people. I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to do my thing. But it was it was fine. Then I got, I think I got a job shortly thereafter, and you know. Now, now what was what was Reasonable Doubts? Was that your first series? Reasonable Doubts was sort of my first series. Yeah, I got, I got, uh, I was lucky enough to do get cast uh, in, in a in a really fun guest spot with with Mark Harmon and Marley Matlin, and uh, and it was just a one off. And then about three months later, they called and said, "You want to come back and do another one?" And then that turned into, I think, like. Ten more episodes uh, subsequent to that of the final of the first season, and then the second season. I think they only did two seasons worth, but then I came back and did another seven for second season. So it kind of turned into a. It wasn't they didn't make me a regular, but it was a it was a recurring in that I had like steady you know steady really steady work as an actor for the first time, you know since I you know since I'd begun acting. Uh, I think I did like seventeen of those, and and just had a blast and learned so much. Mark Harmon is as you, I'm sure you've heard. He's just, I've heard he's the he's nicest. Just, well, he's just the the mensch of the business. He's just one of one of the great guys. And Marley was lovely to me, and I still you know I still see them to this day. I got to do NCIS with Mark a, a year or two ago, and uh, and he's just as nice today as he was back then. It's like every nobody has a bad word to say about him. He's just a terrific guy. So that was a great experience. That must have made you feel good. Because I've talked to a lot of people who have gone in for one episode and it becomes a long run. Yeah. It must make you feel good. And actually, if you have self-doubts, like, hey, maybe I'm not too good at this, someone's looking at you and saying, you know, we want to keep bringing this guy around. It must be a big, uh, I mean, it must be a big confidence booster. It was. It made me feel really good. because, uh, the, And, and I kind of I started to find my groove a little bit as an actor i kind of got to find the you know, found my niche a little bit because the character was sort of like a sleazy yuppie lawyer type and and that that kind of became my my bread and butter those kinds of characters uh i played a lot of slickster guys in suits and that was sort of the beginning of that and uh, i tried to get away from that years later but early on that was sort of that sort of like my little niche market thing um and uh, and it and it was great, and I and I was really kind of on the job training for me. I really got to learn. I learned so much from from Mark and Marley and and from Bob Singer, who was the executive producer of that show. They they really and and they all really kind of t- took me under their wing. I was 25, 26 years old then, and and um, you know, like I said, I mean, I hadn't I'd done a couple of industrial films and some commercials and a lot of theater in New York, but really didn't have any on camera experience. And so that was really my first. Uh, my first time being consistently in front of the camera and and uh, and learning how it all worked and uh, so that was a great experience. I'm 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 always 
very indebted to all those people for for that because that kind of got me on you know on on the roll. Why do you think you got you got that? Why did you get typecast like that when you were younger? Because did you have that yuppie look, or I mean, what? Why did they pick you out and say, okay, I, I have we no want idea. You, I mean, I've, were you auditioning for other things, or was it like every audition was like this character? Not this necessarily. Character. Not necessarily. I was auditioning for a lot of different things, but uh, I kind of got this. Um, you know, I, I guess I have this kind of baby face, I suppose, and so a lot of the guys that I was playing were sort of against the type of how I looked. Um, y- you don't expect to see me play, you know, bad guys and serial killers and jerks. Um, so maybe that was like they were sort of juxt- juxtaposing how I looked with the kinds of gigs that I was getting. I, I, I don't, I don't know, but uh, it did kind of type me for a while. Um, and I had to kind of try to break out of that because, you know, as an actor, you want to be able to spread your wings. You want to be able to do other things. And, and I tended to get seen as that one thing for quite a while, um, which was it got a little frustrating. And then at a certain point, I thought, you know what, I'm working and not a lot of people are working. And so just I made my peace with it um, because Lord knows after, you know, Law and Order and Reasonable Doubts and all these sort of law shows where I played, you know, kind of. Uh, the smarmy defense attorney, or you know, the 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 jerky senator, whatever. Um, I I I've, I would have a 17 closets filled with suits um, from you know all of these various guys that I played different variations on the same sort of trope. And um, yeah, after a while, I was just like, yeah, man, I'm working. I'm happy. I, I'm I, I love to work, and 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 wherever wherever I go, whatever the role is, I just I try to make the most out of it. So you're doing a lot of TV. You're doing some guest spots. Yeah. That. Now, when did you just start getting movie work? Movie work started, uh, really came off of uh, a, a guest spot on a TV show. I was doing, uh, remember Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman? Oh, yeah, yeah. With Jane Seymour. And Jane's husband at the time was James Keach, uh, brother of the great Stacy Keach, actor. James was an actor as well. And at the end of the episode... Uh, I played like a cavalry officer, and I was. I'm, I'm, I remember having to. They, they they asked me in the audition. They said, "Do you do you ride a horse?" And I I maybe been on a horse twice in my life. And of course, when you're in that room, you go, "Oh yeah, I was. You know, I was born on a farm in Montana, and you know, grew up roping doggies, and you know, at, hanging out at the rodeo. I mean, I just you know, you say anything you can to get the job. So three days later, I'm on a horse galloping across the the, the tundra up in Calabasas or whatever, hanging on for dear life. <laughs> and the director pulled me aside and said, you don't really ride a horse, do you? And I said, well, you know, it's been a while. Uh, but, you know, at the time. So I finished, the, I finished that job. And, uh, and James said, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be directing in a couple of months a movie with Robert Duvall and Aidan Quinn and Billy Bob Thornton and Francis Fisher. And, and uh, there's a nice little role in there for you. And... and uh, he said, you know, I'd like to like to bring you on. And I said, terrific. And being the son of an agent who, uh, you know, a, a, a guy who makes a living uh, you know, blowing smoke, I thought, okay, this is another smoke-blowing thing. I didn't hear anything for several months. And then one day I got a call, and they said, you're going to Austin, Texas for six months. And uh, I ended up going to Austin, Texas and, and sitting in a, uh, a 1936 uh, Hudson convertible sitting next to my acting idol Robert Duvall uh, for about three months and just having an absolute blast and uh, and that was really my first uh, my first taste of moviness. It must have been quite a difference though coming from TV because TV is everything's you know let's get it done you have a certain mm-hmm. time. I mean did you were you probably so used to the TV that was it hard to transition to this 
pretty much probably you sit in a, you're down, you're in a, uh, your trail or whatever you come out was it was it weird for you did you sit there and go did you enjoy that or did you enjoy just when you were on set on these other shows where you had to act 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 i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed that experience of being i, I just i love the period stuff and of course being with duval and and i had the the bonus of having worked with james keach before we had a nice relationship and uh i remember uh, i re- I'll, I'll never forget i remember being with duval and it was just a just a just a consummate actor, just a, a master. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to chew gum and I'm going to have a limp. And I wanted to do all of this sort of acty stuff because I was going to be on screen with him in every scene. I wanted to sort of go go toe to toe with the great Robert Duvall. And at one point, he pulled me aside and said, "You know what, kid? Don't act." He says, "You're acting. I can see you're trying to act." He says, don't try to out-act me. He said, just, just say the words. And I, so, so from that point on, I thought, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to use this as, as my classroom. And uh, so I don't spend a lot of time uh, sitting around in my trailer. Whenever I'm on a set, whether it's a TV set or a movie set, I like, to, I like to be in the center of the action. I like to watch the director. I like to watch what's happening. I love the, I love the, the buzz of being on the stage. And so uh, it, it, it's different in, to the extent that it doesn't move along as quickly. Movies are hurry up and wait, and there's a lot of, you know, sitting around for hours waiting for lighting setups. It's a lot different than TV, but uh, I, I, I love everything about it, you know, even the waiting sometimes. So you do that, and now it's unbelievable. You still look at your resume. You have an unbelievable resume. You've been, like, you've been, like, on every damn show. It's like you sit there and go, okay, wait a second. You know, I mean, from, you know, I'm looking at, you know, with the division and the district, like, shows that were good that people never even heard of, you know, but you've been on, you've been on like, everything. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean speaking of the division with... Uh, was it, uh, yeah, it was The Division, John Hamm. John Hamm was, I think it was his first show. And uh, uh, Nancy McKeon, and it was terrific actors. It was, a, it was female cops, and John was like the guy on this show about female cops. And he was a young actor. I think he'd just come out from St. Louis. And um, we talked about it when I did Mad Men with him last season. And uh, he, was, he was sort of miserable in that environment because he didn't really have anything to do. And... You know, he, he, turned, he turned out all right. He turned out right. Yeah. Okay for him. So then, and you did judging Amy. You, mm-hmm. had a, you had a few episodes of that. Now was that now was that something when you were cast? Did you think it was going to be a recurring? Or that was that was one? another one. That was another one off. It was a uh, I, I did the pilot uh, for Barbara Hall. Went in and read for her. I had done a pilot uh, called On the Line with Kelly Lynch uh, about two seasons earlier. And uh, Barbara Hall is a wonderful producer. She did Joan of Arcadia and Judging Amy, and she has the new show called Madam Secretary with Tay Leone and. Uh, so I did the pilot, got cast in the pilot, and uh, and about two episodes in, it turned into another. Uh, I think I'm not sure how many of those I did, but I I did a bunch of them over over a couple of years, and and uh, and that was a gas. That was that was that was really really good fun. So you when you would sit there and you get these parts, did did people know of your work and say, okay, we want him, we want him to be a guest star, or did you have to go through an audition process, or was it both? It's a little bit of both. I mean, it's still a little bit of both. I, I, some sometimes uh, it's nice when. It's nice when you, you, you answer the phone and they say you're getting on a plane tomorrow and you don't have to jump through the hoops and, and all of that. And uh, uh, it's about half and half sometimes. I'm, I, 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 liked, I happen to like auditioning because uh, it's a chance to act. So you get to go in the room and you get to, you, it's five minutes where you get to go in and kind of see what you can do. Um, with the case of, uh, of Satisfaction, uh, the USA show that I'm on now, it, it, uh, it sort of fell into my lap. It was a, a, a wonderful phone call and it was... You're going to be in Atlanta in two days, and they sent me the script. I loved it, and I didn't have to read for it. I think I'd, I'd, I'd sort of gotten a reputation as as an actor who was able to play that 
kind of guy. Uh, and when I got to Atlanta, uh, uh, Sean Jablonski, who's our executive producer, he sat me down and said, you know, I'm a fan and, and I, I love what you do. And basically kind of gave me free reign to, to play with this character of Victor. And, uh, and that's a, that was a real gift. It was nice because he sort of gave me this gift and trusted me with, with his writing and, and, and let me kind of create the character from the ground up. You know, it's cool, though. It's so funny because the way Hollywood has changed. I know when you were on NC, uh, on JAG, you got to play, because you were on it twice, you got to play two different characters. Yes. But it was a long time between. It seems like it never happens anymore. I mean, you'll see you'll see people will do CSI, and when CSI New York was on, CS, they'll do them. But you never really see that. It used, true. And it used to happen a lot. It I happens mean, a lot with, with Law & Order. You'll see a lot of New York actors uh, that, uh, I mean, I played the same guy on Law & Order. Right. Uh, the mothership, they call it. I played several. I played the same guy several times on that show, and then a couple of years later, I did Criminal Intent as a different character. But Law and Order, the mothership of Law and Order, was really like the only one of the only shows that let actors play different parts over several years of time because there's such a a small pool of actors, you know, of great actors in New York that it allowed them to come and do different, you know, different roles over time. But uh, that's true. I. I uh, CSI, I do, CSI doesn't let you come back, um, but now certain networks have rules where you're not allowed to do more than, I know TNT, you're not allowed to do more than one uh, TNT show per season, Lifetime, so uh, when I had done, uh, I'd always wanted to do The Closer, never got a chance to do uh, an episode of The Closer because I love Keira Sedgwick, love to work, and I never got a chance to do it, and it was because of this rule, I had done, uh, uh, I had done uh, uh, Rizzolian Isles and... Uh, Oh, one other thing, perception. I think, uh, and uh, and was never able to get on the closer before they wrapped up. And then I finally got to do major crimes. And James Duff at the table reading said, "We finally got Spencer Garrett in our room because he was never available because of the TNT role." But yeah, they 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 don't want you to be overexposed on their network. So as an actor, that must be hard for you, just for the fact that. And I'll be honest, if you're a good actor, you know, you sit there like I said, I saw you in two roles on the same day. I mean, we're talking. Eight hours apart. Really? From, what? On no, what? I told you from Masters of Sex. Yeah. And then, because I watched it, and then I told you Franklin and Bash. Uh-huh. And you're too, comp- I didn't sit, th- the only reason I sat there and, and said, oh my God, that's the, that's, that's the same guys, because I knew you were coming on the show. Yeah. Like, if you're, like, my girlfriend watches tons of, I mean, she, whenever she's sitting there, it, she'll just flip around, oh, I'll watch this, and, and she'll always go, oh, that's the person from that. Uh-huh. But it doesn't affect her viewing. Like, we don't, you know, I wouldn't sit there and say, I mean, people have to know that, you know, you're actors, you guys have to work. And if I see you as, you know, let's say a stoner in Franklin and Bash as, as you know, an uptight That was fun. That col- was a lot of fun to play yeah, that I guy. I want to talk yeah. about that, but I'll play college guy, a college board member yeah. on Masters of Sex. Yeah. I don't sit there and go, oh, wait a second. If I saw you on, let's say, The Mentalist, which I know you've been on that day, I wouldn't have said, oh, my God, uh... I've seen this guy three times. I would just say, wow, that guy's acting a lot. He must be good. Uh-huh. And that's what cracks me up because it takes away from you guys getting work. It, when it, it does. Because no one, the thing is, and I think what happens is, I think it's the overthinking. The, the, the normal person, okay, not, I'm not saying that we are not normal, but people in the entertainment business think different. The normal person doesn't really sit there and they'll see you act and they'll say, oh, that guy was not that. But they know that's what's called acting. It's, yes. It's like if someone sits there. And, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you appreciate that. No, because they know that's what you do. Sure. You're an actor. And they, and the funny thing is, I think it's overanalyzing because people don't sit there and go, hey, wait a second. He was on that. Now, oh, we don't like him. We don't believe him. No, because they're all, if it's the Rizzolian Isles, they're watching Rizzolian Isles right. and, and the other people. And then you're and adding to it. You enhance the program. And that's what cracks me up with like people say, like, you know, 
oh, they can't, you know, act in this role because of that. It's like, th- that's why you're an actor. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, you make a great argument and uh, I, I, I wish you, I wish whoever's, whoever's running the networks, I, I hope they're listening to this show because, no, it's true. I mean, if you look at my, if you look at my reel, you know, my demo reel, which is sort of, you know, every actor's calling card, um, you know, it's, it, there's six or seven things on there and they're all different. I mean, that's what we do. That's what we train for. You know, that's what we went to, that's what we went to acting school for is to, to learn how to play different kinds of characters. I mean, true, early on, I, yeah, I did tend to be put in this box in a sort of pigeonhole and then I finally got out of the box and 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 now uh, wonderfully get to play lots of different characters I think the rule of like the TNT and the lifetime and CBS you know only letting actors play one role uh, because they don't want to you know if if, if the if uh, say a USA show like if I was on so I couldn't do suits and um, I couldn't do Suits and Satisfaction, my show, because they're on the same... I think they're airing, like, one night after the other. So USA's role is, well, they can't... You know, America can't see him on uh, playing Victor O'Connell on Satisfaction on Thursday nights at 10 o'clock, one night, and then Suits the next night playing a different guy because they'll get confused or whatever. I remember when I was doing Judging Amy, and there was a show called Family Law years ago, uh, which was uh, Paul Haggis, the great Paul Haggis, uh, created the show, and it was with Kathleen Quinlan and uh, Chris McDonald, Christopher McDonald, and I was actually given a choice. Uh, I was doing both. I was recurring on both shows, and I was actually told, because they were both CBS shows, and judging Amy, I played a lawyer in Hartford, Connecticut, and LF Family Law, I played a lawyer in Santa Monica, California. They were on different nights, but I was actually told by executives of CBS, or my agents were, they said, Spencer has to pick a show. He has to, you know, I was given this kind of Sophie's Choice, if you will, and I had to choose which show I wanted to be on more. And it put me in a kind of an awkward position, and so I, I stopped, I was... Uh, I started with, you know, you, you dance with the, the gal that brung you, so I, I stayed with uh, Judging Amy and, and had to stop doing L.A. Law because, because they couldn't, uh, CBS couldn't reconcile me, you know, playing essentially the same character, or, you know, kind of, kind of the same guy, but uh, on two different shows on two different nights. So, you know, on, on that I can kind of understand. Yeah, but the, the thing for me is, just on this whole point, is this also, it's like, Okay, USA. My girlfriend watches Suits. I watch it once in a while. Okay, love that show. She watches uh, Royal. I want to be on it. I can't. I can't. I was be saying, on but it. she watches Royal Pains. I may watch it. But the thing is, these it's like these networks are assuming that the person that watches Suits watches all their other shows. It's not true. I mean, for an actor, it's like okay, so I you, get you. You, you yeah. can do the Mentalist, yeah. But you can't do. But you can't do because you know the funny thing is, I mean, who watches? Who sits there and goes, okay, I'm going to watch every USA show. Yeah, I love HBO. I don't. I don't watch uh, True Blood. I don't watch. You know, I, I watch Leftovers. I just think it's funny that they. It's automatically assumed that you guys that everyone watches these shows. And as I said, as an actor, I mean, I don't know. I it's it just it. it no, no, it I, I, I see what sure. you mean. Now you you said about we talked earlier about the typecasting. Yeah. Now when you were younger in that role, when did that start changing? And when did you notice that change? When you started getting what was like your roles that you started diversing away from that? I uh, I started. I started uh, learning the power of no. I started turning certain things down because they tended to be the same, the same guy. Um, I started doing a lot of indie film work and 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 choosing roles in, in independent films that were different from a lot of the TV guys that I played. A lot of those guys in suits, like I said. Um, and you know, sometimes you just have to work. I mean, you have to pay the rent. Right. But I uh, I got to a point where I was comfortable enough in saying, I, I don't want to play that smarmy congressman again. 
Um, and uh, so I kind of tried to steer myself away from it as much as I was able to. And then a wonderful thing happened about six years ago. I went in to read for uh, a role in a Michael Mann film called Public Enemies with Johnny Depp. Yes, very and, good. And uh, the casting director, the great Bonnie Timmerman, who has been with Michael for a long, long time, cast Miami Vice and hundreds of films. And I went in and I read for this. The, I, I, the audition was to play this uh, gangster, this kind of hardened criminal. He was like an ex-boxer and he's a real mook, like a real tough guy. And I said to the casting director, I said, before we read, I said, you know, I just, I don't feel like I'm going to get this. I don't feel like he's going to see me as this guy. I said, can I read for the FBI guy or the lawyer or the guy in the suit? And that was my mindset at the time. Because you're so used because to Because I was so used to it, and I thought, well, this is a lock. This is in my wheelhouse. Not the, not the gangster guy and the casting director, to her credit, wonderful Bonnie Timmerman. And she said, you know, Spencer, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. And she said, you always play that other guy. She says, I've seen you do that. You could do that guy in your sleep. You could you could stay home and phone it in, you know, the smart-ass FBI guy or whatever. She said, I don't want to see you do that anymore. I want to see you do this guy. So come back tomorrow, bring it in the room, and show Michael what you have. And that was a real kind of, that was a real confidence booster for me because I'd kind of, I'd gotten very comfortable being in that, in that box, I suppose. And I came back and I was cast and uh, and two months later I was in Chicago in you know, on a freezing Chicago set with Johnny Depp and all these terrific actors, Jason Clark, Stephen Dorff. And I went up to, and it was the first time I'd met Michael Mann. I never met him in the audition process. I met him in the makeup trailer as I was trying on prosthetic broken noses and cauliflower ears and all of this stuff. And I thanked him for casting me. And, uh, and he said, um, he said, you were the only you were the only choice he said I, I i know that you wanted to play these other guys but i i wanted i know you wanted to play like the the suit guy he said but i want to see you do this that's why i hired you and he saw something in me that i didn't necessarily see in myself which was uh, which was very eye-opening to me. Now, what was it like getting to play that role? All of a sudden, you're sitting there and you're Wonderful. not used to that. I mean, just you're you're being a bad guy. And Wonderful. I think, I think everyone wants to be a bad guy because yeah. there's something that you sit there and you know you're a nice guy, but when you play a bad guy and people are convinced, they go, "What a dick! What a jerk!" <laughs> it must be a it must be a. I mean, it's so if it's real life and people say that about you, it's bad. But for acting, it must be a great feeling. It's great fun because you know we're we're all. It was a very very much of an ensemble and a kind of a guys movie and. Uh, but the wonderful thing about working with, with Michael, which is th th that was my first time. I've now, I just finished my, my third, uh, third film with him. I did Public Enemies, and then I did a, a short-lived series called Luck with Dustin Hoffman. I want to talk about and that. And Nick Nolte uh, with, and the horses, and sort of an ill-fated experience. But uh, got a chance to work with Michael then, and then we just spent a couple of months in, in Asia together. But on Public Enemies... Um, the, he's a, he's a he's a, uh, a, a, a to say he's a stickler for detail is a, is the understatement of the century. He has a research team that does research for you. So when we all got to the set, there was a guy that handed me like a Bible about my character. Now I played a, I played a real life guy, a character named Tommy Carroll, who was a petty thief and a gambler and a boxer and a you know and a, a murderer, and he was sort of the getaway car driver for John Dillinger, and. They they had prepared all of this background information for me. So when I got to the set, I had all of this wonderful homework done for me. Uh, all of the actors, every single one of them, there was a thick you know tome of 
of uh, background information, and you know you don't get that every day as an actor. So all of the stuff that I had already wanted to bring to this character, I was given an extra gift of of all of this uh, you know literature and background stuff. And Michael makes you watch films from the period, gangster films from the period. Uh, there was a three-week sort of immersion process in learning the history of that time and uh, the, the, the gangster era from the 1930s, and we were all required to read the book, Public Enemies. We had to do our homework, and yeah, I love stuff like that. I mean, that's what you that's what you do it for. Well, it seems like that, may, that means that they're up for the game. It's yep. like, I mean, that oh, means sure. the director's ready to game. It's like, for oh, me, yeah. I do research on my guests because... I've, I've heard interviews where the people that, I mean, you just talking about this earlier with my first guest, someone comes on and, and the interviewer doesn't know anything. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, wait a second. You know, you're, yeah, you're interviewing, yeah, that's what your job is. Your job's not just to sit there and go, okay, you believe tell me. me about- I've, had, I've had a lot, I've done a lot of these, Steve, where, uh, you know, I, I, thrilled that you you know obviously you did your homework i've been on i've been on the other side of this mic and 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 uh, people don't you know and you end up there's a lot of dead air so yeah, exactly it's uh it's refreshing it's nice well, you know what's funny is because i saw the picture of you on facebook uh it's so funny because facebook is weird because i have like 2,500 friends because I comics ask you to be whatever sure. and you can anyone can get 5,000 friends I don't want that but what's funny is when you start communicating with someone or if like let's say I sent you a message and we became friends yeah. then you get in, you get in a loop a, a, that's not a loophole a uh, thing where it's like you see those people's posts like if you don't like people I went to high school with I may not see their posts forever but I saw a post that you had a picture of you in the trailer yes. with all those guys yes. and you're drinking rum smoothies <laughs> that was in my, February that was my third that was my uh, throwback Thursday picture a couple weeks ago yeah that was fun i dug that out uh it was me and uh, depp and and uh, stephen dorff jason clark stephen graham the wonderful uh, british actor stephen graham who i he plays uh, al capone now he played babyface nelson in public enemies now he plays al capone on boardwalk empire great great actor and so uh, yeah we were uh, we were all together in the freezing cold chicago winter for several months and so uh, sometimes johnny liked to start his day uh, we were uh, we were in the trailer one morning at 6 a.m. before our call time and uh, his assistant whipped up a batch of uh, smoothies and put a little enhancement That's in funny. the uh, in the blender now did you do scenes with him on 21 jump street that's where we met. So, that, but yeah, so, so you, so he remembered you. Yeah, so. that's where we met. It was fun because on our first day of rehearsal, uh, he came up to me and he's like, "Spencer Garrett, you played the college kid who was point shaving basketball games." He knew the name of the episode. He knew the name of my character. I mean, it was unbelievable, and uh, and it was his last season on the show. I think he was kind of on his way out, on his on on the road to movie stardom. But uh, but we had a nice experience together. That was uh, that was around the time of the Star Trek. It was like eighty nine, ninety something okay. like that. So so eighteen, twenty years had gone by between the time we'd seen one another, and it was like we picked up right where we left off. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely guy. That's, I've heard that. So, yeah. so now well, I'm gonna talk about luck. You run on luck yeah. now. The, luck is one of those things. As I said, I I love Boardwalk Empire. I love HBO shows. Yeah, and. It's like also I love Showtime, I love Ray Donovan because love the cast, the cast are so good. Mm-hmm. And with luck, it was such a good cast. Mm-hmm. Had su- I think David Milch was connected to that. Sure, too. David Milch and Michael Mann. How can you and, go and wrong? So, so what happened? Was it too expensive to shoot? Did you shoot at Santa Anita? Yeah, we shot at Santa Anita, and uh, I didn't get to shoot at Santa Anita a lot. I uh, I was the manager of the of the hotel where Dustin Hoffman's character lived. Uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, and the late great Dennis Farina 
um, who I miss very much. He's you know that was a that was a big loss when when he left us a couple years ago. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I wasn't part of the racetrack gang. I was part of the hotel gang. So all of my stuff was with Dustin and uh, uh, a young uh, Patrick J. Adams, who's now one of the leads on Suits. Uh, he was sort of the new kid on the block, and he got I think he got Suits off of off of his uh, little recurring role on on Luck. But so most of my stuff was with Dustin and Dennis and Joan Allen, and uh, so that was just that was terrific. I, you know, I can't really point to why that show didn't work. I know there was a couple of horses, uh, a couple of horses passed away, okay. um, and after, but a couple of horses passed away during the making of the film. I'm not really sure why or what happened, uh, but I know there was a lot of pressure from you know from animal rights activists and stuff that put a lot of pressure on HBO. Uh, but you know, tremendous writing. I mean, David Milch is one of the great TV writers of all time, and and uh, I never got a chance to do NYPD Blue. So when I got to be on Luck, it was a it was a real treat to meet Milch because he's uh, he's a master. So uh, yeah, two great minds and a brilliant cast: Nick Nolte and Michael Gambon, and just ever John Ortiz, all of the great actors they put on there. Uh, it just uh, it just didn't really click, and I think the horse thing kind of sunk us a little bit unfortunately what was it like working with dustin hoffman because i mean you got to work with duvall you said when you were when you were younger you got to work with duvall yeah and i'm sure any actor is a loves dustin hoffman i was well i mean with duvall i was scared out of my boots which is probably why i was trying to act so much but, i mean you were younger too i was so younger was, and greener and so i uh, yeah look by the time i got around to working with uh, the great dustin hoffman i you know I'd, I'd had a few shows under my belt and and uh, I was I was a little less nervous, but I was also very uh, it was very heartening to see on the very first day, very first day of filming of the pilot episode, uh, Dustin Hoffman. There's a scene that was very very intricately choreographed where he just Dustin's pulling up in his limousine to the Beverly Hilton Hotel and a lot of cars and people and movement and a lot of moving parts. And Dustin turned to me and he says, "I said, are you okay?" He said. Yeah, I'm just I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. And I said, "Why?" I said, "You're you're Dustin Hoffman." And he said, "This is the first TV show I've done in 30 years. I wish I could do a Dustin Hoffman impression." He said, "This is the first TV show I've done in 30 years." So it was a different it was a different animal for him. It was a different, you know, environment. So it's it's nice when somebody like Dustin Hoffman feels a little off their game, so it makes you kind of feel like, "Okay, we're all just, you know, we're we're, we're all in the same boat together." And uh he was just lovely to me. He was great. And uh I had a great, uh, great time. A couple of years earlier, I'd, I'd done Charlie Wilson's War with okay. uh, with Mike Nichols, and I had a very dear old friend of mine named Bob Willoughby, who was a, a set photographer for for movies for many many years, and uh, he put out a book several years ago called The Platinum Years, and it was a kind of a uh, a compendium of all of his uh, film set projects from from uh, the original Ocean's Eleven to The Graduate to Catch-22. Great, great films that he'd worked on. And one of them was The Graduate. And there were behind-the-scenes photographs. Bob took all of these behind-the-scenes shots. And so when I was working on Charlie Wilson's War, I gave Mike Nichols a copy of this book. And I'll never forget sitting, uh, sitting on the set and watching Mike Nichols turn the pages and looking at the behind-the-scenes shots of Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft uh, rehearsing, you know, the, 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 the seduction scene. And, and uh, that was very special. And then I, I did the same thing with Dustin a couple years later. I brought the set, brought the book to the set and sat in the makeup trailer and, you know, looking, watching a 72-year-old Dustin Hoffman look at black-and-white photos right. of himself at 30, you know, playing... Benjamin Braddock in you know in the graduate and telling stories and you know that's that's the stuff that I just 
You know, that that's what I great. get out of bed for. I mean, I just love that stuff. Now, you, see, you mentioned Mad Men earlier. Yeah. Now, I love that show. I think they, I think they could have ended last season i think that the last episode i think could have don't ended. tell me i haven't seen okay, it yet but i okay. think but i mean yeah but but now it's coming back i don't even know when it's coming back on it's like whatever sometime in the spring yeah but now what was that like because it it's such a big show and it's one of those cult following shows it's like sort of like probably when you did the star wars i mean the, the star trek you probably didn't think like they have these huge followings i mean mad men oh yeah mad men's got a certain it's got a certain crowd mm-hmm. and it's a it's a very i hate to sound like pretentious it's a very educated classic crowd i think that people will like that show you don't find many guys like who are watching you know you know mike and molly which is a great show sure you're not seeing that same crowd that crossover what was it like to work that show because it's such a i mean i've heard people joel murray was on the show and he said oh i love joel yeah, he was great, and he yeah. said how like you just get your you just get your pages like you don't know what else is going on he's like he didn't he didn't even know when he was going to be on this last season he goes, that's exactly I, I did, right i did shows i don't know have any idea what i'm going mean, to what was that like to say they just give you the pages or uh, I, I can't remember. I don't think I, I think I did just get the pages. I think I just got my scene. Um, you know, it's I love that show. It's a writer's show. It's about the writing. It's about the richness of the words and Matthew Weiner's writing and the incredible team of writers he has. And, and the actors are so perfectly cast. Um, I, you know, I think I, I, I'm not sure what the the viewership is. I mean, but there's obviously a reason it's been a hit for so long, and and why John Hamm has gotten nominated for Emmys every year for the last seven years. Why they all do. Um, it, for me, it was uh, I'd, I'd always wanted to be on it. I, I'm glad I finally got my shot. I went in to read, and uh, John Slattery, who's an old friend, who's who plays Roger Sterling, uh, is an old pal from New York, and I went in, and I knew he was directing the episode. And uh, I walked out of the room, and I was driving home, and I got a text message from John and said, you're the guy. And, uh, you know, two days later, I'm, I'm in a 1960s suit and, uh, you know, the skinny tie, and I'm, I'm in that world. And John really guided me through that world and through the process because it's very, very different. Matthew's very meticulous about, about the words. Uh, they have to be spoken as written. Uh, you can, there's not a lot of room for you. You can't add your own nuances uh, Dialogue-wise, it's very, very specific, uh, which was a different way of working for me. But it was, it was really good, and that's obviously why the show's so effective. So it was great. It was a great experience. It's just one day, just one day, sitting, uh, sitting, having lunch with Christina Hendricks. Which, you know, how bad no, can that no, be? No, I was going to complain about that. Absolutely. So now you're in a show satisfaction. Yeah. Now, how did that come about? Was that was that also a one-on, or were you sitting there from the beginning? We're going to no. Gonna that was you. Uh, that, that was a, it was an offer. That was a phone call. Uh, my my agents called and said. Uh, I'm going to email you this script. Take a look at it. They they're interested in you, and if you if you like it, uh, it's yours. So I read it, and I got I got about 20 pages in, and I called him. I said, "I'm in. When when do we start?" And three days later, I was on a plane to Atlanta, and and I was there for two weeks, and we shot it in November of last year. So it was just a pilot episode. There was no guarantee of of an order, and then, you know, you 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 sit around for it's you sit around and wait and tick 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 tick, and then. May comes around, and when they pick up the pilots, and and we were lucky enough, you know, I was just knocking wood every day. I was out there reading for other pilots in the meantime because you never know what's going to go, and I really had a good feeling about it. I had a, a really good feeling about it, and uh, I, I'd gotten to see some rough cups of it, and gotten to see the chemistry between Matt Passmore and Stephanie Shostak and uh, Catherine Lanasa, who plays uh, Adriana, the the madam on the show. Uh, it just it felt really good. So when we got picked up. Uh, I was, you know, I was jazzed. So I was just really happy to be along for the ride. Uh, but that was a, that was a nice uh, that was a nice experience where, you know, 
you don't have to read. Like, here it is. We we trust you. We like you, and we think you're the guy. So you have to go to Atlanta. Yep. Okay. So you know what's that like when you have to go to Atlanta for like how long did you go after? I mean, how long? Well, for the pilot, like two right, weeks. But after that, after that, uh, most of the summer, yeah, for about three months. Now, how do you pack when you do that? I, mean, do you, <laughs> I always wonder, like, because you sit there and, and today put you up, and then like, who does your laundry? I mean, are you on your own? I, I, I always do, wonder I how do, it works. Well, I do. I mean, I was recurring on the show. I think I did seven of the ten episodes. Okay. So uh, the 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 main guys they they lived down there all summer, so they would rent apartments, or uh, I think they all kind of got their own places to live. Uh, I was uh, I'd stay in a hotel, so I'd go and work my two three days, and then come back to L.A. So, uh, you know, I'm 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 living this kind of gypsy life. I, I spent this year. I've been to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Jakarta, Toronto, Vancouver, Atlanta, Dallas, Baltimore for House of Cards. So I'm just like going from hotel to hotel. So I do my laundry. I was wondering because you sit there, you go, and I was like, do they sit there? Like, how do I pack? The answer to your question: I pack as lightly as possible. And then, yeah, you're wearing wardrobe during a show, so you, yeah, yeah. But I've gotten to be very good at like you know Atlanta, hot shorts, flip flops, toothbrush, baseball cap, t-shirt, boom. Get on the plane now, Aquarius. You just shot that, yeah. And now that's with the company, right? Yeah, still doing it. We're we're okay. shooting it. Uh, we're shooting it for the next couple of months. And so, are you a recurring on that? Or? Yeah, I'm doing. Uh, I think I'm doing five or six of those. Okay, that, that shoots in L.A. Yeah, shoots, now, a, shoots in L.A. shoots a, shoots across the street from my house at Paramount, which is delightful. So you must love that. Dug it. Love uh, it. Now, what's that like? I mean. I mean, the call. Have, have, do you know the company before? Have you ever met him? Or? I, it was uh, it was like Johnny on uh, Public Enemies. Like we at the table read, the company was like, "You played my lawyer on the X Files," you know, like fifty seven years ago. And I said, "Yep," and knew the knew the name of the episode. And uh, it was a creepy episode where there was a guy dressing up like Santa Claus and stealing children. Um, <laughs> You know, that's been the best show to write for you. You can just write anything. Oh yeah. Oh, let's write oh, this. Yeah. And now you're now legends. But that was one of my many in my my pantheon of sleazy luppy yuppie oh, lawyers. Though. Sure. But now legends. You shot that. Uh, shot legends. It did the last episode of Legends. Yeah. Okay. Because I've been watching that. So I guess now you're in the last episode. I'm in the last episode, so and then so. hopefully if we if that gets picked up, then my don't guy. tell me. Don't tell me. Okay. 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 So I said, <laughs> give me about five minutes left. What else is coming? I'm see. You have a bunch of stuff. Now you said you shot. What, what did you shoot with? Just Michael Mann. What movie? Uh, Michael Mann just did. Uh, it's called Black Hat. It's with uh, the great Viola Davis and Chris Hemsworth. Uh, of Thor and everything, fame, Rush, and uh, the, you know, the Marvel films. Amazing actor, really great guy. That's when we were in Asia together. Uh, and that's a sort of a cyber thriller. Uh, Chris Hemsworth plays a, a computer hacker, and uh, Viola Davis is sort of uh, trying to track this uh, giant hack. Somebody's hacked into uh, uh, banks all over the world. And uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you too All much right. about my guy, but uh, uh, that's coming out, I think, in November. And then um, uh, that was the that was a couple of months in Asia. That was a lot of fun. And then I went back to uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, to do uh, one day on a in, a in a scene with Owen Wilson that takes place in a restaurant in Dallas, Texas. Uh, the beginning of a movie called it's called the coup i just i was going to ask you yeah, about that yeah with pierce brosnan and uh they flew me uh halfway around the world to shoot a scene in a restaurant in a hotel in Chiang Mai, thailand they dressed it up to look like dallas texas and i flew i flew flew to thailand for the day now what i mean that must i mean came home jet lagged yeah, so they face. flew you out yeah. you did, you, and you must be jet lagged when you get there or you're thrown off they a bit. Fl- they flew me there and Originally, they were going to fly me there and 
work me the next day and i said guys no i i need i need a day to sleep and to acclimate uh, so they gave me like three days to kind of get myself in sync and then we shot the scene and i took another uh, took about another week after we shot that and and uh uh, and k- kind of wandered around Thailand and did a little sightseeing, which was which was fun. I'd been there a couple of years earlier. I did a movie with James Brolin and Kip Pardue called uh, Bittersweet, and I was there for about two months in southern Thailand, in uh, Bangkok, and then in the south in Krabi and the islands. So this was nice to be up in Chiang Mai and hanging out with the elephants. And it was we, cool. We have a few minutes left. Yeah, you've worked with so many great acts, actors. Is there anyone you haven't worked with yet who you really want to work with? I mean, would you sit there and go, God, I want to, I want to work with them? It sounds cliche, but you know, Meryl Streep, man, I, you know, I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to work with her. Jack Nicholson. I mean, I could, I could probably rattle off a few names, but those are two that. Uh, I mean, I, I was such a huge Jack Nicholson fan growing up. Uh, wanted to be Jack Nicholson. You know, I, I just, I loved his work so much, and and I've always loved Meryl Streep. Uh, Gene Hackman is another guy, but he's, uh, he's kind of retired. He kind of slowly went off the went off the grid and 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 he's retired so I, I'll, I'll never have that chance but uh that's that's somebody that i grew up admiring i mean duval uh got to work with duval got to work with dustin hoffman uh love to work with al pacino um you know kevin spacey i've, I've had, had wonderful experiences with lawrence fishburne uh there's a long list but i'd, I'd say uh when you when you get right down to it probably jack and merrill right. now is there any characters you would like to play that you haven't played when you sit there and go god i want to play that is there any certain role you would love to play that no one's offered you and you said I you know, know what i, I got uh, i got cast as the president of the united states in iron man 3 last year and at the last minute uh the the, the suits at Marvel decided that I was too uh, too young looking to play the president. They needed somebody sort of craggier and with more gravitas. And so that gig sort of got pulled away from me at the last minute. And I, I was really bummed. I ended up getting to be in the film anyway, which was nice. Uh, Shane Black, the director, uh, gave me a nice little role in that. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've played so many congressmen and senators. I feel like I should be... Uh, I should be elected president. Somebody should graduate me to the president gig, and uh, I'd love to do that. A nice, juicy, meaty president role. Now, do you want to keep doing TV or movie or both? I mean, do you like do you love both mediums, or would you rather just... TV, movies, theater. Did a play at the Geffen Theater last year. Okay. First, first time I'd been on stage in about five years, so that was a that was a blast. Anytime I get to be on stage and you know and and work out in front of an audience is uh, is 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 a, is a gift. Do you feel you lose your chops a little bit though, not being on stage a lot, or does it, as soon as you get back, you come right back? It comes right back to you. I mean, because I, I was a little I was a little rusty. It, t- it, t- it took me a while to you know getting off book and learning the lines and all that. Uh, I hadn't been on stage in about five years, so yeah, I was a li- I was a little rusty, but we had five weeks of rehearsal. And so by the time we we opened, uh, you know, I, I was ready. But uh, it's a different it's a different beast. You know, it's a it's being up in front of a live audience is a, is a different thing. But there's there's no better rush than that. So I, I can't wait to get back on stage. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, do you have Twitter? Do you have anything? How, how can people find you? I'm on the Twitters, man. I'm at uh, one number one Spencer Garrett. And uh, and I'm on the Facebooks and uh, Instagram. It's one Spencer Garrett on Twitter and Spencer Garrett one. On uh, on Instagram, so I just I just started getting on Instagram and follow me around on there. But uh, I'm new I'm new to the Twitter, so uh, you got a tweet. Me. I got a tweet. Check me out. Well, check. I want to thank you again. It was great for you coming in, and uh, you know we had to cancel, but we got to make it. Yeah, finally, Spencer. I'm really glad we did. And go say yeah, so people will check him out on the Twitter because he's going to tweet. Also, follow me on the Twitter at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I tweet. I, I, do I, you? I tweet a lot of jokes because I oh, write good. jokes. It's tweet, good. It's good. I do that. Uh, Instagram. I'm Cooper Talk One. I don't do Instagram that much. Facebook. Just find me, Steve. 
Steve Cooper, uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 290 episodes up there. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, both. Uh, Cooper Talk Search. You can find me there. You're everywhere. Yeah, if you have an Android, <laughs> if you have an Android uh a tablet or phone go to the google play store type in cooper talk one word my app has all my episodes up also people take it uh, over the world yeah wow. iHeartRadio. i'll be starting up in the next week or two so just type in cooper talk probably load up like five episodes to start and every week they'll be putting my episodes you can listen to them send me an email at cooper at coopertalk.net i can respond to you you guys just send me stuff tell me what guests you want to hear so yeah don't forget follow me at cooper talk I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, every Tuesday I do stand-up at Jimmy's in Burbank, and that's about it. Remember, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a wonderful weekend, and listen to me next week.